What a powerful video. Just to remind us of the men and women in our armed forces who've sacrificed greatly to give us the freedom that we have. Amen? Man, can we just put our hands together again for those who sacrificed so greatly? Welcome. If you are visiting one of the four campuses, I hope that you have felt as welcome as a visitor as I have every time I've been here. This is the third time that I've had the privilege of getting to be at Northridge, and uh, it is good to be back. Thank you again for letting me come and open God's Word with you. Uh, always a joy. I, uh, I meet students who have been greatly impacted by this church all the time. I work at Liberty University, and we have every state represented and 90 countries represented on our campus. And uh, on a day-to-day basis, I, I show up with, you know, in, a, in an elevator or on my way to work with, with, in a conversation with students. And whenever someone tells me they're from Michigan, uh, we instantly begin to have a conversation these days, you know, and always the conversation has two tracks that I know we run into, whether it's a 30-second conversation in the elevator or a five-minute walk all the way across campus, we always talk about Northridge. I bring this church up, and since you're a big old honking church, you know, either they go to your church or they've seen the impact of your church in some great positive way, and I love just talking to someone from Michigan about how much they love Pastor Brad, the rest of your staff the creativity of this team, the anointed worship. And so we always talk and brag on Pastor Brad and your church. And then, and then we always hate on Ohio State football together. And so both things always happen whenever I meet somebody from Michigan. And, um, and it's so cool, isn't it? Because I really believe loving on Pastor Brad and hating on Ohio State football both honor the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to throw that out there and just say that it's, it's good to be among family and, and friends, all right? Um, and, and, I, and I'm making fun of Ohio State fans because they don't tithe anyway, and so it's gonna be all right. Well, they tithe, but they tithe to a very different God. Anyway, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you guys doing okay? It's good to be here again. Uh, hey, if you would, open up your Bibles with, uh, with me to Isaiah 53.5. This is Memorial Day weekend. And, uh, you know, if we're not careful, a weekend like this really um, uh, becomes a weekend that gets hijacked by mattress sales, you know. And it becomes a weekend that gets hijacked by barbecues and days at the lake. And obviously, those things are afforded to us as a gift. But really, this is a day where since the Civil War, uh, we have stopped in a weekend to remember remember men and women who gave up their life so that we would have the freedoms that we have in the armed forces. It used to be called actually Decoration Day. And then in 1971, the president changed the name, but the same idea of, uh, to Memorial Day where we would think about people that have given greatly and that we would not forget. I, I love how in the video that our creative team made for us, um, you know, the, the words we will remember and we will not forget was just hauntingly before us in black with white print. And really, that's what this weekend is about more than anything else. It's a weekend where we do that. By the way, we don't mind that as Christians. We love that as Christians because even though we're first citizens of the kingdom of God, we certainly are grateful to be citizens of this nation, right? And even though we give God all the glory, we know that God gets glory when we honor, honor men and women that are due, good, deserving Honor. And so both of those things don't contradict but parallel one another. And, and a weekend like this uh, is an incredible weekend where we can come together and remember. 
Anybody here ever seen uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan? Speaking of Memorial Day and remembering great acts of sacrifice with people in the armed forces. Anybody ever seen that in all of our campuses? Will you wave at me if you've ever seen that movie? It's rated R. You're going to hell. No, no you're not. You're not. You're not. You're not. I've seen it too, all right? I actually own the DVD of the movie. Uh, the first time the movie ever, uh, the first time when the, first, the movie first came out, uh, the first time I ever saw it, I had, I had an experience that marked me forever. I, I was really looking forward to the movie because when I saw the previews and found out that Steven Spielberg was involved, found out that Tom Hanks was involved, found out that Matt Damon was involved, certainly it got my curiosity up. But since then, what I do know about the movie is that it was nominated for six. Oscars for good reason. Steven Spielberg said it's the favorite movie of his in all the movies he's ever been a part of. And he's been a part of some of the biggest movies in our history. Tom Hanks said it's the greatest movie he ever got to be a part of. I mean, literally, if you think about it, people like Matt Damon and anyone else who was a part of that movie uh, will go back and tell you that that was the most impactful thing they ever got to participate in for good reason, because it's the kind of movie that you watch and it haunts you for the rest of your life. I remember the first time I saw it, I saw it at like 12.30 in the afternoon. The movie had just come out during the weekend and like the next Monday or Tuesday or something, I ended up in the theater. I love 12.30 in the afternoon movies uh, because like the movie theater's empty so you can get in and get the seat you actually want. No one else has taken it. The popcorn's cheaper because it's discounted matinee style. And you know, and just like the rest of us, I mortgaged my house to buy that 50-gallon drum of popcorn with the WD-40 on it, you know, and I bought, walked in. And I remember when I first walked in the theater, I was the only one in there and I sat down and then these two elderly gentlemen showed up and out of an entire theater, theater of 600 seats, they sit like right in front of me, right? And so there's the three of us kind of bundled up in the middle of this theater and then after a few previews, the movie started and, and when the movie started, you realize why they called the first seven minutes of this movie the most realistic war scene in, in Hollywood history. The first seven minutes are a reenactment, really, of the Battle of D-Day, when in 1944, Allied forces came together to rise up against Hitler and his Nazis, right? So Hitler was killing innocent Jewish people, and that was happening on our watch as the great power of the world. And so we got Allied forces together, and the British, and, you know, the Spanish, and, you know, the German, I mean, the, I mean, the uh, French. Back, this is back when the French actually fought, all right, you know, kind I got together with us and we rose up against, you know, Hitler's Germany. And, and, and we needed this one particular area called Omaha Beach, a beach in Normandy, France, because the Germans had the high ground. They owned that spot, but we needed that spot so that we could then be able to flip things around into our favor. And the first seven minutes of this movie are a reenactment of that actual battle. And um, it's an incredibly haunting seven minutes. It's a violent Hard to watch, but you can't stop watching seven minutes. I'm sitting in the theater, and I'll never forget, I'm, I'm watching the whole thing play out, and, and the very first scene is this watercraft, this, this water vessel, as it's heading towards Omaha Beach, and the, and the men are just in it, and, and, and I say men loosely, they look like boys dressed up like soldiers, they're young men, and then one of them, his leg is shaking because he's so full of fear, he knows any second they're going to open up the one door, and when they open the latch, he's going to have to jump down in the water and head towards the beach, and he knows that the Germans have the high ground, and they're just going to pepper them down so he knows more than likely he's not going to make it through. 
His leg is just shaking. They go to another soldier, if I remember correctly, and he pulls a picture out of his you know, coat and he looks at what is obviously his wife and his baby. He kisses the picture as if to say, this might be the last time I get to see my little boy. Puts the picture back in. Tom Hanks, who's in there, is a, you know, kind of a leader. He gives them some instructions. And in that moment, you know, any second now, this latch is about to open and all hell is about to break loose on these men. I'm watching this, and that's that moment where you put your popcorn down and realize this is not a popcorn movie. And then the battle starts. All of a sudden, in THX, Dolby surround sound, you're in the middle of a battle, right? All of a sudden, the lanch opens up, and these soldiers hit the beach. And as soon as they hit the beach, blood is going everywhere. Body parts are flying everywhere. I mean, blood is splattering on the camera, and you're just seeing it go down. And as everything is going down, we're about two minutes into the scene, into this Battle of Normandy reenactment scene. And all of a sudden, one of those elderly gentlemen sitting in front of me yells to his friend, because it's so loud in the theater. He yells, this is just like when we were there. And as soon as he said that, my eyes left the camp, I mean, left the screen and, and went right over to where I'd heard the noise. And, and I noticed that these two men were just weeping. I couldn't see their face, but I could see them from behind, right? And I was sitting right behind them and I could see that their shoulders were just shaking because they were just weeping. And I got to tell you, the first time I ever saw the movie, I didn't even really see the movie. I watched about five minutes of the movie until that happened. And then I watched two men weep through a movie. When the movie was done, I was exhausted. Honestly, I was exhausted just watching these two men struggle through it. And I got up and I left and I walked out into the hallway, you know, and I just felt like I needed to wait on these two men. It took them forever to get out. I think they were just collecting themselves. And they walked out and as soon as they walked out, I should have thought about not startling them, you know, but, but I didn't think that through. I just walked up and I said, excuse me. And, and they looked up and I said, I'm so sorry to startle you. I said, I was waiting on you in the hallway. I was just in that theater with you. We just watched Saving Private Ryan together. And, and I know it's rude to listen in on other people's conversations, but sir, you yelled in the beginning uh, during the battle scene, you yelled, this is just like when we were there. I said, sir, can I just ask you, were, were you actually there? Were, the, were, the, were you gentlemen at that battle? And, and, and one of them just starts weeping again. And he never said the words yes. He just shook his head yes. And his friend looked at me and said, yeah, we were there. It's really hard on him because he lost his little brother on that beach that day as well. And standing there in that hallway, we just, three, three men just stood there and just cried. Just stood there and just cried together. I took my hand out of my pocket and I reached it towards them and I said, sir, I just want to shake your hand. I, I was waiting on you because I wanted to honor you. I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for serving. Thank you for giving up your brother. I know, I know we didn't want that to happen, but you were, you were willing to give up your life. You were willing to stand and thank you for men like you because freedom ain't free and it's costly and it's bloody and it's a mess and I know it's afforded to me. I have the freedoms that I have because of men, great heroes like you, sir. Can I just shake your hand? And I shook his hand. I shook the other guy's hand. He brought me in for a side hug. And I'm just telling you, we didn't know each other's names, but we were Americans together. And I walked out of there and I was so patriotic. I was like a Lee Greenwood CD on crack, y'all, all right? I was like, and I'm proud to be a half American, or at least, a, and I say half American because that's, I'm not originally from America. I was born in Iran. 
And when I was nine years old, we escaped and came here as refugees. And then when I was 18 years old, we got to become American citizens. My Iranian family of five went in the back of this, this civic center, and there was a table with copies of the Declaration of Independence. There was an American flag and an Alabama flag and a judge in a robe. And he said, come on in. And our five you know, family members of Iranians walked in. There were about 75, 65 Koreans that were there, like three families together. And we heard from this judge how we walked in the room as refugees, but we were about to get sworn in and walk out as citizens of this great nation. And he talked to us and we were all fired up and we put our hands up and we did the Pledge of Allegiance. And I'm just telling you, I got my copy of the Declaration of Independence and I'm an American by paperwork, baby. I am. And I love me some America. It has been good to me. I love this nation. I'm a patriot, obviously. I mean, I'm signing up for Memorial Day preaching time. You know what I'm saying? I love that video so much that it literally changed the sermon I was going to preach when I saw it because I was moved. And I was moved because I was already leaning in. You know what I'm saying? And I say that as a person who wasn't even born here. Anybody in all our four campuses, you were actually born in America. Will you just wave at me wherever you are? You were born here. I wasn't born here, but it doesn't matter whether adopted or born, we're all a part of this nation. And in days like this, what do we do? In days like this, we memorialize. In days like this, we stop and we remember. We make sure it never gets too far in the rearview mirror for us. I mean, I, I like, honestly, the original name for this particular weekend, uh, decoration. We decorate. We celebrate. We, we put medals again, right? Emotionally, we put medals again on those men who've earned it, those women who've earned it. And I'm telling you all that to say, honestly, just like Memorial Day is a time of remembrance where someone lays down their life, every time we gather as a church, we have Memorial Day for the single greatest battle that was ever fought. Not D-Day. Not D-Day, but Resurrection Day. Good Friday. Now, why am I giving that parallel to you? I'm giving that parallel to you because, honestly, first of all, it's Memorial Day, and we, we need to give honor where honor's due. But second, I walked out of that movie, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, before I walked into this movie, I knew all about the historical narrative of D-Day. But past this movie, it's very personal to me. It's no longer information. It's been transformational. And there's a big difference. I think when I was a junior in high school, I studied the battle of D-Day. I think I studied it. I think there was a number two pencil involved and some Scantron, all right? And I think I made sure that I knew that it was Omaha Beach. I knew it was in 1944. I think they had like the allied forces and like which one of these was not an allied force, you know, and, and what happened. I, I think I, I, I answered some questions and I had the information down, but then passed forward to that, I go into a theater and I'm reminded of what actually applies to my life past 1944. And then I meet two people that make it very personal and he goes into a whole nother level, right? And when we come together as believers on a Sunday, when we come together as believers in our community groups and we stop and we sing songs of remembrance and worship and we come together and we take an offering to give back to him and we basically decorate him with worship and we come together and we open up God's word so that we don't forget what Jesus did on the cross for us. What do we do? We come together and we say we never want the greatest battle ever fought to be a battle that's in our rearview mirror either. Because I'm telling you, the greatest battle ever fought 
was a battle that we're about to read. The greatest battle ever fought was not the battle of D-Day. The greatest battle ever fought was not, you know, some physical battle as much as the greatest battle ever fought was the physical cross, which was a spiritual battle where he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's the greatest battle that was ever fought. It wasn't Omaha Beach, but a place called Calvary. It was that battle where Jesus Christ hit the beach, took the blood, took the fight, and evil did not prevail. He knew, he knew that the, it was going to be bloody. He knew that freedom was going to cost him, but he was willing to step up so that we could be set free. Just like little boys and little girls in Holland could be set free from concentration camp, you and I could be set free because Jesus Christ did for us what we could never do for ourselves. I want to read you about that battle. I love reading. Uh, the, the irony of it is that we're talking about a particular moment, right? And I love reading it out of Isaiah 53.5. Listen to this. Uh, here, here's why, by the way, I love reading it out of Isaiah 53.5. 700 years before the moment of the cross, Isaiah starts prophesying about that moment. So I'm about to read you something that's in, perf that's in like absolute I'm about to read you a prophecy 700 years before the cross happened, all right, from a guy talking 700 years before the moment. We're reading it 2,000 years later. So 2,000 years later, we're looking at the cross as, as the memorial moment, as a, as a celebration, as a, fr a freedom day, right, where Jesus Christ paid the price for us and Jesus Christ set us free 700 years before this, this man is prophesying about that moment 2,000 years later. We're looking back. We're both looking at that same moment. Because 700 years before, the only hope they had was this moment. And, and 2,000 years later, the only hope we have was that moment. Does that make sense? At least we have the luxury of knowing that it's already happened in our history. And Isaiah says this. He says, Jesus, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Talk about a bloody battle. What I love about the Bible is that it does not spare us the reality of a violent grace. That Jesus Christ was crushed. He was pierced. I mean, listen, the mock trial, the humiliation, the beating, the being spit upon, the crown of thorns, to be forced to carry his own weapon of mass destruction, the cross, being slapped, being ridiculed, the reality that he was more than likely, most theologians believe, completely naked when on the cross and there was no robe like we have to, have to do at Christmas cantatas. There was no three crosses way up in the air. He was probably low enough so people could walk up and grab that crown of thorns and pull it down and mock him and laugh and say, where's your army to save you now? What kind of a, what kind of a king are you now? Like, could walk up and slap him or they could walk up and, and take that little side that was cut and, and make sure they maximize the physical pain. Every bit of that not spared to him because Jesus Christ hit the mark so that we would be spare, spared what we had coming to us. And I know most of you know that. 
I know most of you in our different campuses watching right now, live stream, or right in this very room that I'm in, already come in this room, and you know that. I think most of you aren't surprised. I don't think I'm telling you that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for you and then died a sinner's death for you and going, he did that? Somebody murdered him? Somebody put him on a cross? How many of you already knew there was an event called the cross where Jesus Christ was nailed by nine-inch nails to a piece of wood for your sins and my sins? How many of you already knew about that? Will you wave at me? I think all of us do, but we forget so quickly, don't we? And when we come together and we sing about the cross, when we sing about what a beautiful name and death could not hold him, and we talk about that and we remember and we decorate and we come together and say, this is our only hope. What are we doing? We're saying we never will forget because we never want to dishonor what he did to set us free. And we get to do that every time we come together. That's the gospel. The gospel is such a powerful, powerful truth. In the gospel right here that we just read, you see two people, right? You see Jesus, the one who's crushed, the one who's pierced, the one who fought the good fight. But then you see the reason. You see us. He was pierced. He is Jesus for our, that's mankind, you and me, our transgressions. It's amazing. Jesus was not pierced for his transgressions. He was not pierced for his sins. He was, because he had no sins. He had no transgressions. He was pierced and crushed for our transgressions. See, the, the gospel is really simple. The gospel is that God the Father is a holy, perfect, righteous, sinless God. And we as his children, we as his creation, right, are sinful people. Now, maybe you're hearing me say that, and you're like, man, certainly a Hitler is a sinful person, and Osama bin Laden is a sinful person, and I know some guys in my work that would certainly carry out that kind of a description about them, but I mean, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm not necessarily a transgressor, or whatever that would be, or a sinful person. I'm a pretty good guy trying to do the best that I can every day, but I'm really not that bad. I mean, I'm here on Memorial Day weekend. Chill out. And if you're hearing that, I just want you to know that, yeah, I, I don't think that you are a mass murderer. I do think that you're certainly better off than some other people. You can always play that comparative game if you want. Always find somebody who's done worse than you, if that makes you feel good about yourself. But I just want to remind you, God grades on a very different curve than you and I. God is a holy, perfect, righteous, sinless God. And so one drop, one drop of sin and transgression is just an evidence, Right? that act of sin, of the nature of who you are. Every single one of us is born in this world a sinner in need of a savior. Every single one of us. Nobody had to teach you how to be a sinner, right? You're a professional sinner. I, 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 I flew here uh, you know, yesterday, and, uh, and, and right beside me is this mom and a three-year-old. And the three-year-old was a little brat, little narcissist, all right? Just kicking the seat in front of him. And as he's kicking, and the guy, the guy in front, bless his heart, he keeps looking around like, is this mom going to say anything, you know? He looks at me, and I'm like, I, I, because I, I want to say something, but I'm from Iran, so I can't say anything in airplane. So I'm just like, I'm like looking at him like, bro, I know. And the kid's kicking, you know? And so, and she's like, she's like, you're a good kicker, you know, like, because that's that kid, you know, that's that kid who plays soccer at Upward and they give him a, everybody, everybody gets a trophy, you know? And so she's like, you're just such a good kicker. No, you're not. You're a brat. All right. And I'm sorry. Anyway, so, so, you know what I'm saying? But that's a little brat. That's a little me monster, right? And somebody needs to tell that little me monster, you know, you're a sinner. Now I know your kids look cute and we, we get them all dressed up, but you know what I'm saying, right? We're born that way. 
We're born that way. I don't care how sheltered you are. I know you're going, that's just bad parenting, David. I'm just telling you, it ain't bad parenting. That was bad parenting. But like my sister is the opposite of that. My sister is the most, like Amish people would look at my sister and go, chill out. All right, I'm just telling you, my sister is conservative. She raised her kids in the most conservative. They would not even kick. They would not, they, they wouldn't even take a plane. They, 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 they'd probably take a cart and buggy. Like, I'm telling you, like, they're just the most conservative, sheltered. She named their son Emmanuel, you know? One time I picked up Emmanuel because she said, hey, can you get him, hang out with him for about an hour and then bring him to me because she had some stuff to do. I said, sure. So I get Emmanuel and she tells me, she goes, now when you get Emmanuel, don't do the stuff that you normally do. And I was like, you ain't my mama. You must, don't be talking to me. And so I was like, sure, whatever. And so, you know, I pick him up and man, as soon as we get in, I mean, he, he like, Emmanuel only listens to like, you know, liturgical music, you know, buddy, I was cranking that Van Halen as loud as I could, getting it in his ears. Yes, that's what I did, Van Halen. If you, if you really want to, if you really want to, this new music these days, it's no good. If you really want to mess somebody up, give them some Van Halen, all right? This is all. Anyway, so I'm cranking that Van Halen, you know, and, and we stop at this gas station. I, and while I'm getting gas, I run in. I got this pack of M&Ms. I sit in the car. And I'm like, hey, Emmanuel, so sheltered. I'm like, you know what M&Ms are? He's like, no. I'm like, you're about to find out, buddy. You're about to find out. About M&M's. And I start popping this kid M&M's. We're driving down. The, I'm just giving him M&M's. He's just like, ah, he's just getting sugared out of his mind. Right? He's like, ah, you know, in the back. It's awesome. We pull up to the driveway. My sister gets out. I don't even roll my window down. I roll the window down by him because I want her to come in, but I want to get full effect, you know? So she walks right over to her little sheltered son, you know, and she's, as she's walking up, she sees that chocolate mustache, and she goes, Emmanuel, have you been eating sugar? And he looks right at his mom without even, sheltered little, perfect little Emmanuel, all right? And he looks right at his mom, and he goes, no, and he's a liar. No one had to. No one had to teach him how to sin. I helped, but that's beside the point. No one had to. It's in him, right? No one had to tell your kid when you were, you know, you're raising your kid if you're a parent, you know, today, you know, you're going to wear a red t-shirt, but call it blue. That's called the lie. And no one had to teach them how to be narcissists. I'm just telling you, we, every single one of us have the seed of sin in us, right? By the way, it does depend what kind of greenhouse and what kind of fertilizer gets on it with what pops up. But all of that is in us. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short to the glory of God. And so God sees us as sinners. And so God is holy and perfect and righteous and sinless. And we are separated because we are sinful people. I know you're hearing that. And you're like, I'm not that sinful. Maybe compared to the guy next to you, you're not. But I'm telling you, buddy, God is grading on a very different curve than the average guy in the room. And that sin separates us from God. And we can't be good enough. We can't be moral enough. We can't write a tithe check big enough. We can't sing a Hillsong song loud enough, all right, to remove that sin barrier on our own. We can't fight the good fight for ourselves. We are helpless people. And so Jesus comes down to be the way, the truth, and the life. He comes down, and after living a perfect, sinless life, he who knew no sin, right, has the sin of mankind imputed upon him. He's crushed by that weight, and it comes on him, and Jesus Christ hits the beach, 
symbolically speaking here, marches towards the enemy and takes the blood. And that affords us freedom, beloved. And if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. And we get that. And I'm just telling you, that's what, that's what gatherings are. Gatherings like this are times when we come together and so we could, so that we're, because we're the kind of people who are prone to forget. We're the kind of people who quickly put it on our rear view mirror. We're the kind of people just like we can turn Memorial Day into, I'm going to get a really good deal on some clothes or I'm going to get a really good steak and go to the lake with my friends. If we're not careful, we make it get hijacked. If we're not careful, we let all these things become nothing more than just, hey, we come together and we sing a little bit and we want to laugh a little bit and we take Jesus off the front. And every time we gather, I want to just make sure we are reminded we come together and we go, I don't just want to know about the historical event of the cross. I want to celebrate its impact, its freedom that's afforded me right now in my life. The truth of the gospel is that it's not just afforded to you and I for salvation too, right? It's not just saving healing. It's sustaining healing. The same salvation that, that set me free, the same salvation that, that was bought for me, the same battle that was already fought for me at the cross is the same battle that I can call victory, right? Out loud on in every battle of my life. People forget that. I mean, some of you are hearing this today and you're like, man, I already know the Lord. I already know the gospel. Like, why are you reminding me of the gospel? I'm already saved. The reason you preach the gospel to yourself all the time, the reason you continue to decorate Jesus with praise, the reason you continue to memorialize, the reason you continue to make it an Ebenezer stone, like the old, you know, hymn says, the reason you don't want to ever forget is because it's not so much just about a gospel that you get saved under and then you put it to the side. It's the same gospel power, the same resurrection power, the same, it's already been bought, the same victory that's already been fought. It's the same battle that you already have victory over every single bit of that for every aspect of your life. Because some of you are born again. You're saved, but your marriage needs healing. Some of you, your, your thought life needs healing. Every day, you, you, you see yourself losing the battle of pornography, losing the battle of gossip on Facebook. You know, you call it prayer requests, but everybody knows you're gossiping. You know, you see the same battle of a, of a relationship with somebody that, that hurts you. And so every day, because you're hurt, you get up and you continue to be a victim of somebody who really hurts you and you never can get over the hump and find healing. Or maybe right now, you're in a very stale place and, and you just have a lot of anger anger issues or you have a lot of battles in your life that you're that's just raging with just emotions or whatever is going on in your life. And I want to tell you right now that the gospel isn't just power afforded to you for salvation. It's power afforded to you for sanctification. And it's already been won. You, 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 beloved, look at me. Don't miss this. You, if you're a Christian, are already a war that has been won. He fought the good fight for you already. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was wounded for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We're healed, beloved. We're healed. We don't just get that in salvation. Those stripes aren't just for salvation. They're for every single facet, every single compartment of our life. And that's why we get together as God's people. Now, I'm not going to presume that thousands of us gather in four different congregations that everybody 
is already saved. I think some of you are hearing this for the first time and maybe as you're hearing it, you're going, man, I never really thought of it this way, that God is holy and I'm unholy. God is sinless and I am sinful and I need a savior and his name is Jesus. And I can't fight the fight myself. I can't be good enough or moral enough. All I'll ever do is just lose that battle. But Jesus already fought it for me and I need to come and give my life to him. If you've never done that, give your life to Christ today. But if you already have done that, then continue to go back to that battle and preach to yourself. Don't ever forget, it's already been won. And that resurrection power is afforded in every single battle that I fight in my life tomorrow. Amen? Here in just a second, we're going to get to sing. I love that it was, it was called, Memorial Day was called Decoration Day because I think um, the idea of just worship is just an idea of just decoration. You know what I mean when I say that? We stand together and we, we decorate greatly Jesus. We say, Jesus, you're awesome. Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, you're savior. Jesus, you fought the good fight. Jesus, you're the only hope that I have. God, you're amazing. God, but God what you do is you turn unholy places to holy ground. God, you're, and that's what we get to do. By the way, hopefully, hopefully, as we get charged up in a moment like this, you're going, man, I, I, gotta, I gotta stop auditing and halfway worshiping. As I'm reminded of all that he did for the battle for me, why would I not engage in fully, fully showing gratitude to him and worship? Amen. But before we do that, I want to say that if you've never given your life to Christ, or if you're saved and you have some things going on in your life, some battles going on in your life that you need prayer over, that, that before we do get out of here today, there is a way for you to find some accountability in it. Every one of you got one of these handed to you as you were coming in. And, and uh, what I love is that this church always has that perforated little edge on every one of these bulletins where they give you an opportunity just to honestly just journal, chronicle, maybe something that God is saying to you. And so if you look at this, there's some information that you can fill out, just a few lines about who you are. And then in the bottom, if you've never given your life to Christ, you can literally say, today I want to receive Christ into my life as Lord and as Savior. Maybe you already know him, but you're going, man, I've got some stuff going on, and you can write a prayer request down, and then you can either turn this in, as we're going to have some folks here in the front as we dismiss, or out in the lobby in the, um, the guest center, and, and that'll give you a chance to get out of these rows and to get in a conversation with somebody who might reach out to you and say, hey, I just want to celebrate or just have a conversation with you about what God is saying to you at this moment. And I do want to just make sure that we get this, right, that not everybody in this room already knows the Lord, but uh, I mean, like, we just can't just presume everybody's already saved. And if you're not, it would be just a waste of, it would be a bad stewardship of a gospel that we just looked at if we didn't give you an opportunity today to say, that's the only hope you're gonna have for every single battle of your life, especially the eternal one, or where you're gonna spend eternity either with God in heaven or under the wrath, the self-deserving wrath of hell. Can we pray together just for a second? Our worship team is going to come out and um, certainly we'll have time to celebrate. Certainly we'll have time to decorate him with praise in just a second. But if you've never given your life to Christ, would you just at this moment, just think about that. Just if you've never given your life to Christ, put a spiritual mirror in front of yourself and say, man, I've, I've never done that. And, and, and ask yourself, what would keep you today from just saying, Man, I want to honor the one who, who gave his life for me by giving my life to him. If you want to ask Jesus into your life, just repeat after me this prayer. It's just a simple confession. Jesus, 
I know that you're real. I know that as the son of God, you came down and you lived a sinless, perfect, righteous life. And then after having lived a sinless life, you died a sinner's death. You fought the battle for me in my place. My sin was imputed upon you, was put upon you, the weight of it upon you. And so as a person who's 100% guilty of sin in need of a savior, I thank you that you fought that fight, that you died on the cross for me. Thank you, Jesus, for that. I receive that as the only hope that I have. I know that after they took your body off that cross where you paid the penalty for my sins, they put your body in a tomb and Three days later, when they go to check on the tomb, that the tomb was empty because death could not hold you. That you rose from the grave, that you, through your resurrection, afford me not just death of the old, but a new life. So just as the old me dies, a new me is now born again. I receive that. And I ask that for that resurrection power, not just for salvation, but for every day of my life. I receive that gift. Amen. Hey, listen, if you prayed that for the first time or for the first time for real, will you just put that in that perforated section and turn it in on your way out? All right. The rest of us, let's just get up together. Come on. And let's, uh, man, let's just decorate him with worship. Amen. Let's just thank him for who he is.